Shield and I'm a success coach, self-improvement author, presenter and founder of Tribe Tonic Membership. Tribe Tonic is for wellness warriors who are ready to shift the limitations, show up in life and achieve the impossible. Each month, Tribe Tonic gives you a video training series, meditations, tapping and powerful tools that you need to help you be fiercely confident. The doors are open for enrollment now for a short time only, so head to tribetonicmembership.com to take a tour. This is my new podcast series called She's Electric. I'm meeting incredibly powerful, trailblazing female leaders, and you'll hear everything from career milestones to the worst problems they've faced in their road for success. My aim is to empower you and inspire you so that you feel like there's nothing you can't overcome. In this episode, I'll be chatting to the insatiable and high-energy Adrienne Herbert, aka Adrienne If you don't know Adrienne, she's a personal trainer, an Adidas global ambassador, mentor, and a TEDx international speaker. Adrienne's been featured in Women's Health magazine, Sunday Times Style magazine, Marie Claire, and she was named a new face of wellness by British Vogue. She shares her passion for fitness, as well as encouraging and motivating others by writing, creating videos, speaking at events, and hosting workshops. Over the last few years, Adrienne's love for running has taken her around the world, and last year, she completed her first marathon. Never one to say no to a new challenge, Adrienne takes on everything in life with energy, fun, and passion. Adrienne has collaborated with brands such as L'Oreal, Adidas, Avida, Garmin, Fitbit, and Origins to create campaigns that allow her to tell her unique story and share her motivational message with the world. Most recently, Adrienne is now the host of The Power Hour, a weekly podcast that will motivate you to achieve success and unlock your full potential. On the day of launch, within just 12 hours, The Power Hour podcast was listed in the top five iTunes charts. I can totally vouch for The Power Hour as I was one of Adrienne's first ever guests. So I hope you enjoy the next half an hour or so, and if you do, then subscribe, rate, and comment in the relevant section of your podcast app. And also remember to check out the show notes and learn more about me on my website, jodyshield.co.uk. Oh my gosh, I'm just looking at my table and I've got so many snacks. I feel like saying that we're sponsored by Livia's Kitchen. I actually did try and reach out to her to see if she like could sponsor me for an event once, and um, she was really lovely actually. Yeah. I was like, I'm obsessed with your Bicky bombs, please, please. Like, if you can ever send me some, I'd just be your biggest fan. I haven't tried many of these actually, but I am a snack queen, as you know. So thanks yeah. for the snack. So um, I'm here with my incredibly talented and powerful and confident, and I could just go on really, uh, friend Adrienne, and because I know that she loves snacks, I made sure that I stocked up before coming here. Stocked up. Thank you, Jenny. I appreciate that. I do appreciate that. I am the snack queen, and I know people are divided when it comes to, you know, three meals a day versus snacking. Um, Yeah, I love to snack. So tell me what would be your go-to on that table? Go-to? What would you dig into first? Probably, I mean, I'm drawn right now to these. Raw chop brownies, they look good, or salted maca caramel. Okay. Anything that says salted and caramel, you know it's going to be good. <laughs> if you crack open one of those, I'll share with you, absolutely. But you've tried the Bicky Bombs before? I'm obsessed with the Bicky Bombs. Oh, why, why haven't I tried these? 
Livia, if you are listening to this, <laughs> please send us some of your lovely biggies. Yeah, dig in. Good, they're big. Yeah, dig in. Thank you. Just gonna dig in now. So between mouthfuls, I'm gonna chat to Adrienne about what's going on with her at the moment. So I'm just gonna take a little bite first and let her chew and swallow. Mm, She's she's trying to do it in a very eloquent way, just so (laughs) you know. You're right. Glad this is not being videoed. Okay. I love you. Everyone that's listening is gonna love you. Everyone that I speak to loves you. Oh. Nice. So, because many people listening to She's Electric won't know you, mm-hmm. um, can you take us back in time a little bit and, and tell us where it all began? Because I'm going to keep talking because she's chewing at the moment. Because <laughs> there's so much to you. There's so much to you and there's so much behind the scenes. There's so much background to you. And every day, like, you surprise me with something. Like, oh yeah, I used to do this, or I used to do that. And, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about... Yeah, where, gosh. Yeah. It's definitely... What made you you, basically? Okay, what's, mm. yeah, that's a great question. What's made me me? It's definitely a... I think, like, like most people's, it's definitely a complicated um, journey, but I think maybe more so than people sometimes expect. So I guess I'll start from when I was in my very early 20s and I was, I'd say, at a really happy point of my life because I was newly wed. So I got married to my husband when I was 22 years old, 23 years old, around, yeah, around that time, which I know for a lot of people, that's the first thing that surprises them because they're like, you got married at 22, like that's mad. So yeah, I got married to my husband and at the time I was performing in a musical in London in the West End called We Will Rock You. So, um... Whoa, 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 come back. Yeah? Tell us a bit about that. Okay. Well, I trained at the performing arts school. I'd been, da- I'd been going to dance lessons since I was 13. My brother and sister both went to dance lessons. We did everything, the dance competitions, singing, tap dancing, ballet, the lot. I've got embarrassing videos. So I did all that, and then, yeah, I went to drama school, graduated, went into um, performing in the West End, and at that time, that was, like, you know, a huge ambition, because when you're at drama school, everybody wanted, well, in, in my year, everybody wanted to be in the West End, so it was a huge ambition to, to kind of achieve, and, yeah, I was performing in We Rock You every night, so it's at the Dominion Theatre. Can you show us some moves? <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah. from the show. Hell yeah. I mean, everyone knows the... I can't even do the noise. You know what I mean? Everyone knows the thing, and literally you have to do on the stand up and show you. It's almost like this. <laughs> yes! Yes, so I had a Mohican wig and I had all the rock clothes, and oh yeah, I was, I was loving it. And that's the theatre seats 2,000 people. So you perform the show every night, you do two shows on a Saturday to 2,000 people. You know, it's crazy. So yeah, this real buzz, you're on stage, and then I would leave the theatre at half past 10 go home, a lot different to my life now. So I'd get home really late, about midnight, and I'd be full of energy, I'd get in the shower, I'd be singing in the shower. I remember my neighbors once actually wrote a note and put it through the front door that said, we really love your singing, you have a lovely voice. However, you sing really late. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's really embarrassing. Um, so yeah, so did you give them tickets? I don't, they didn't know I was in a musical. I think they just thought, I've got this neighbor that sings really loudly. Um, but yes, that was the time when I was really happy, to be honest, you know, I was newlywed, my husband's a teacher, and he was doing really well in his job, and I was doing well in mine, so it was happy times, um, but life is unpredictable, 
Um, and a few months later, uh, I got pregnant with my son, which was incredible. We were super happy about that. Pretty much as soon as we got married, I was like, let's try for babies. So yeah, really happy that we were expecting our first baby. Uh, we got keys and moved and we just started like, you know, looking at nursery furniture and all of that kind of thing. I was going into Baby Gap and just drooling over everything. And then one night after work, my husband picked me up from the train station. I was 19 weeks pregnant then. And it was just a normal night. We went home, we went to bed. Um, but that night, my husband actually had a spontaneous brain hemorrhage in his sleep, which caused him to have a seizure. So I essentially was woken up by the sound of him falling on the floor and having a seizure. And it was absolutely terrifying, as you can imagine. I was just in my pajamas, in my bedroom, standing over him, just thinking, what is going on? Like, it literally felt like I just, I was having a nightmare or something. But over the next few weeks, um, he went to hospital, he was transferred to a neurology ward, he had more seizures, and they just didn't know what was going on. You know, he was a 29-year-old, healthy guy, no drinking, no smoking, he was training for the London Marathon, you know, picture of health, no medical history, he'd never had more than a cold. So it was really strange. They were just like, you know, looking at all sorts of things. Did he have, had he had a brain, um, had he had a head injury? Had he been, I was like, no. Has he got a history of, you know, uh, epilepsy in his family? No, all these things. There was no cause. And after two weeks of them doing different investigations and scans and, you know, I was pregnant. I'm sitting there at his bedside day after day after day, listening to them talk about brain tumours, about brain aneurysms, about strokes, about all these things, so, so terrifying, so overwhelming, and I just sat there thinking, what's the future going to be like? What is it going to be like, you know? just did not know what was going to happen. But um, after two weeks, they discharged Rob, and they sent him home. And I almost feel like that was the start of a whole new um, chapter in itself, because when he was at hospital, at least there was other people. So they were looking after him, I could just sit there and not have any responsibility. But when he came home, I suddenly felt like, oh my gosh, the responsibility's on me. You know, I had to, I was obviously watching over him. He couldn't, he couldn't go back to work for six months. He took six months to recover. Um, he had, you know, real head pain. He was taking all these really strong medications. We had appointments, out, outpatient appointments, epilepsy clinic appointments. And they basically just couldn't give us a cause. They just said, you've had a brain hemorrhage. It's, the bleed had stopped, thank God. And they just said, now you've, yeah, you have to take epileptic anti-seizure medication. So the next few months, my belly was getting bigger, Jude's on the way, and it was just, I felt a lot of responsibility. You know, he couldn't drive, you have to give up your driving license if you have seizures, so I was the only one that could drive us to the hospital, to the appointments, and yeah, it was scary, because essentially I thought, what if, what if this stopped him from working forever? You know, like at the time, I'd just left a musical to have a baby, so you start to worry about financial things, and yeah, it was just terrifying. And then Jude was born, my son, and that was wonderful. He's so wonderful and he was just from, he just brought so much joy into our lives that we needed at that time and it was amazing. Um, and yeah, I guess that kind of time I felt, again, more responsibility. I'm then a young mum, you're learning about everything for the first time, breastfeeding, nappy changing, you know, all those things. So it was a, a I felt like I had a lot on my plate, to be honest, at that time. But, you know, as the months went on, we just discovered a new normal for our family. You know, my husband went back to work after six months, which was great. Um, he trialled different medications. And unfortunately, the seizures, it, you know, it was on and off for about three and a half years. Um, and throughout that time, you know, there was periods of where, yeah, as I said, he couldn't drive. So 
that impacts, I think, in lots of different ways. Because as a as a thirty year old, you know, guy who's used to being a leadership role, and I think it's quite emasculating to have to ask your wife to drive you somewhere. And he hated that. He really hated that. And I think for our marriage at the time, you know, we we got married in church. I'm Christian. We got married in a church, and I, you know, you say the vows and you mean them when you say them. And you, I'd said, you know, in sickness and in health. And you say those words, you don't think that in six months' time it's going to be tested in that way, you know? So, yeah, I definitely feel like that first year of marriage was... It was testing, but it was also... It really kind of brought us together. We have been through so much together that you just feel like you're just a team. You're like a unit. Like, I definitely feel like we, like, literally, like, moulded us. You know, like, clay, if you can, like when the clay is wet and it's liquid and it's like mashed together and then it sets like a rock. I feel like that is our marriage now. I feel like that's part of my DNA is Rob and, in, and you know, and him to me. So yeah, something positive to come out of that was I guess it's just strengthened us to a place that I can't even articulate because you had to be there, you know, you had to go through that together, you know? So yeah, after trying different medications, etc., etc. I'm really, really happy to say that he's now three years seizure-free. Wow. So hasn't had a seizure in three years, and he's driving, he's playing sport, he is just wonderful. He's got his mojo back, he's got his energy for life, and we're just super grateful for it every single day, you know, to be... He still takes a high dose of meds, and we're conscious of, you know, long-term usage and stuff, but right now we're just celebrating, you know, that he's here and he's well. So that's cool, um, and I guess throughout that time, I didn't go back to the show. So that was the thing where people were like, oh, you've given up your career as a dancer. But at the time, I didn't see it as giving up anything. I just was like, this is my new normal. You know, I've got a young son, I'm gonna do something else. So I was meeting loads of mummies. I was meeting, yeah, lots of new women who had had babies. Often they would say to me, are you the nanny? And I would say, no, I'm the mum, because at these playgroups, I was the youngest one. As I said, I had Jude when I was 23. Um, and they, so then I'd get the questions if we went to baby swimming or whatever, and I had, you know, a flat tummy. It would be, oh, how did you get back in shape after having your son? What, you know? And I felt like, okay, I'm kind of giving these women, you know, oh, well, you know, go for long walks or do some squats or some lunges. Or, and I wasn't, you know, a qualified trainer. But I've always been active. I've always loved to move. I've got a lot of energy. And I figured, okay, this is something I could do. I could, you know, train to be a personal trainer or to start my own fitness scene for mums. That was my intention originally. So that's what I essentially did. Studied level two, level three, did the, you do like practical, you know, and, and paperwork. What's it called? The anatomy and physiology, all of that. Studied that, got qualified and literally started a local boot camp for mummies. I went out with flyers, I put flyers through people's doors, pushing Jude in the pram to say, come to my boot camp, and essentially got about 20 women that turned up, and I ran this boot camp, and I loved it. From the minute, from the first session, I knew, I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I loved it. I felt like I was just cheerleading these women and saying, yes, you've had a baby, yes, whatever, but we're here, and we're going to get through this like 45-minute session outside in the fresh air, and it's going to be fun, and I really didn't want people to feel like this is a place where I'm going that's going to be, you know, intimidating or awful or, you know, someone shouting at you, telling you to run or whatever. I was like, no, no, I was like, this is like a team thing. We're going to come, do the session, we're going to have fun. I put them into groups and kind of made it quite like sporty. So I'd have like, 
on my whistle, I had a little um, stopwatch and I'd be like, right, and you know, I'd get these groups and within the groups I could see over the sessions, over the two weeks, I did a session every day for two weeks, these women starting to get to know each other. They'd never met before, but you know, you'd hear them cheering them on when they're getting tired. Come on, Heidi, keep going, you can do it. And I was like, wow, this is really amazing. And coming from the dance industry where I'd been before, it's not really like that. It's, you know, it's much more competitive. It's much more, I guess, catty and bitchy. And I hadn't seen women physically and emotionally encouraging other women. And I was like, in a really basic way, that's what they were doing, you know, when they're cheering them on. So I loved that started a little Facebook group to say, you know, the session's going to be at this time or whatever. People would ask questions on there. And my younger sister was actually the one who said you should start a blog. Because she said, if you start a blog, then you can put the information down, yeah, for your mum's boot camp, but then anyone could see it. So I did that. And I think I quite quickly realised that lots of people were interested in what I was talking about, not just new mums, you know, my sister, her friends, other people, um, um, my friends from Facebook who were looking at my workouts or recipes or whatever and they weren't mums so yeah I thought well maybe I'm onto something here and I kind of just started to diversify it a bit just in a way that I just really wanted to have this positive fun like encouraging fitness thing you know I, I didn't really want to label it as one thing but it was just like we can all get active we can all move our bodies more we can all get up break a sweat run around the park whatever you want and just, um, yeah, get moving. I saw how it changed those women and how it energised them and how they then had more energy to go with the kids or, or whatever. So, yeah, I think from then to now, lots of things, <laughs> you know, using social media, working with brands, all sorts. But, yeah, that is the, uh, the short but long version. That's awesome. I mean, you guys are going to love Adrienne because of her energy, and that's really what like magnetized me towards you in the first place was she's so energizing she's such a cheerleader that's why and I you know I look at her posts on Instagram all the time and they just they're so uh, invitational and they just invite you to kind of come and and just really get involved and and just and feel that shift that transformation um so I love that story and I've heard you tell that before and it's it's amazing tell us about um also about how you um tell us about what that moment in time where you really were like oh and you, and it started create it started to, to really come into what it is now in terms of this career that you have that's mm-hmm. you know you get um a lot of brands coming to you asking you for um, partnerships and things and when did that kind of start taking off mm-hmm. so it was never like a one thing you know sometimes people have one thing that just like goes viral or like puts them in you know the spotlight I didn't actually have that so I just had like I guess I think it was just kind of you know Twitter I was utilizing Twitter I was just connecting with people and sharing and I saw I think at the time I didn't even have Instagram but yeah I think Twitter was the place and then actually Amy Hopkins who we both know she is the editor of Women's Health and at the time she was she was digital editor I think and she reached out to me about doing um, something with Aveda about afro hair and it was for sports it was like different ways to kind of style your afro hair for workouts for swimming and I remember thinking oh my goodness like this is somebody who works at women's health and she has emailed me and she's seen that I have a blog and I was just like so blown away by that because 
you know, at the time, Jude was at nursery. I only did my blog, you know, when I could in between. It was never like, you know, this big thing. And I always felt like, does anyone actually read this? Is this, you know what I mean? So that was kind of one of the first ever things. And I always thank her for that, actually, because, you know, it just takes one person sometimes. It maybe, maybe just that one thing gave me the confidence to go, oh, I'm going to do this more. So, yeah, so I remember doing that. And what else? I think at the time, if I did have Instagram it was just photos of me and Jude literally like in the library reading books and then every now and again I'd post a picture like after a run or before a run and yeah I don't know it was weird at the time the, you know now everyone posts pictures on Instagram of, after going for a run but I, then no one was I just you started using it, it was 2012 um, and then I know that because it was the Olympics at Stratford and the the response was amazing so many people were just like wow like that's made me want to go for a run or where do you run what time do you run do you go in the morning what do you do with you do you go in here and it's like i had all these questions from women just being like just because i posted a picture saying like just been out for a morning run and jude was still asleep i think um and yeah it was just like oh, i've got all these questions and i kind of thought okay maybe not everyone does this you know i think often we can assume that our life's normal to us so everybody must do what we do and then I think I started to realise and say to people, well, just try it. You know, they're like, oh, but I'm not, you know. I said, just try it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how far you go. It doesn't matter how fast. It doesn't matter if you stop and walk, if you're puffing and panting. So what? Like, I felt great when I came back. Go for it. And I think that was what really kept me wanting to post, wanting to be on social media, wanting to, was every time someone said to me, oh, I don't know. And then I kind of, you know, really go bully them into going and then they'd come back to me and go actually oh my gosh I did it you know I went out 15 minutes today and I ran and I asked my husband to watch the kids and it wasn't just about the exercise it was so much more and yeah I've just been I guess moving from there I started working with Adidas um, they had asked me to do some workouts it was actually a partnership workout with another trainer called Tally Rye and it was for Facebook videos and that was the first time I'd ever worked with with a sports brand like that and I was nervous but I also I don't know I was nervous but in like an excited way not in like a oh my goodness this is Adidas this is a big deal it was more like a oh my gosh this is Adidas this is so cool you know so I remember getting to the set for the shoot and just being like oh my gosh this is so cool this is so fun I've watched America's Next Top Model my whole life I know what to do I just felt so happy and then I remember working with the photographer and being there was a, another trainer there actually who was a personal trainer who was there to kind of oversee the, the moves and kind of give us tips and you know when there's no mirrors you have someone to kind of watch and say but um, I hope she didn't feel like I was stepping on her toes but I just had all these ideas so I was like oh we could do this, we could do that, oh what about this and I just really wanted to just do everything um, and I think sometimes like being quite naive is a good thing because now I probably would not do that, I wouldn't probably go on a shoot with a big brand where they've got you know a creative director, a, some, a movement and then tell them like oh let's just do my idea you know but I just was so excited and I think after that shoot they were like oh, it went really well, we got loads of different footage, and I think somebody then said, oh, I want to work with her again. And yeah, that kind of relationship blossomed, and yeah, been working with them for over two years now. Wow, that's yeah. awesome, isn't yeah. it? Well, thank you so much for sharing everything so far. There's so much more to go. You have a really powerful morning routine. I do. Tell us about it. <laughs> the power hour. Yes, I do. So that started about 18 months ago. So I haven't always been 
yes, yeah, structured with the morning, but I've always had a lot of energy. So I'm not going to say that I used to like crawl out of bed for coffee like some people do. Like I just, yeah, I used to, I've always been quite happy in the morning. But I, uh, about 18 months ago, I was training for my first ever marathon. Previously, I'd never done long, long distances before. So it was a real shift. And what I noticed quite quickly about training for a marathon is that it is time consuming. You know, it's not going out for a 20 minute run. If you're going out for eight miles, 10 miles, 12 miles, it starts to become an hour and a half, two hours. And I was thinking, hang on, I'm busy. You know, I've got my son, I've got, um, at the time I just um, started working on a, a networking um, project called Get to Know. I was writing my blog, I was, you know, doing so many things as we all are, spinning so many plates, and I thought, hang on, when am I going to fit in these two-hour runs? This is a lot. So I thought, okay, I don't have time this time, I don't have time this time. The only time I have is in the morning. So I was like, right, you're going to have to get up earlier. So I started getting up earlier, and honestly, I just, it changed my life. I've just stuck with it, even though I'm not training for marathon right now, even on the days when I wasn't running, I was like, if I'm up early, and Jude's still in bed, and no one's emailing me, no one's sending me WhatsApps, no one is expecting anything from me because it's 6 a.m., I can just do whatever I need to do. I can stretch, I can read a book, I can clean my kitchen floor, I can make my lunch, I can do whatever I want, and I'm not being rushed, because I think right now, so many people feel rushed all day long, I know I do sometimes and you feel I felt from nine o'clock onwards if I took my son to school half eight I came home from nine o'clock things coming in in coming at me emails whatsapps and I'm somebody who's quite easily distracted anyway so yeah I started getting up in the morning and it's just stuck I feel like since then I've really looked into like why why has it had such a positive impact on my life you know it gives me more energy I am more creative I'm just so many things and I thought why has it had such a positive impact and if I want to encourage other people to do this I should you know invest and learn about what's going on and I really spend a lot of time looking into morning routines and looking into the power of habit looking into you know other people who get up early and why I looked at Olympic athletes CEOs you know big loads of people leaders who all get up early and they all have an intention when they get up they don't just get up and scroll through their phone or you know stand staring into space while they wait for the coffee machine they all get up and they're like i do this then i do this then i do this and i thought okay this is something that i um i'm gonna run with and yeah so since then i've been talking about it i've done a few talks at different like fitness um fitness festivals different wellness events about the power hour and I'm, yeah, I'm going to keep sharing that because the more people that hear it, I'm always surprised at first people are like, nope, 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 nope. I don't want to hear anything about getting up at half five. And after they've listened to me rabbit on for half an hour about six reasons to get up at six and all these positive benefits and the science behind it, people, I, I win them over. I win them over. And then after a while, they're like, oh, maybe I'll give that a try for a couple of days. And if it goes well and they feel good, they come back to me and they're like, I've been doing the power hour. It's so good. So, yeah, that's it. So if I want to start the power hour, yeah. give me one or two scientific reasons why it's good for me. Okay, scientific reason. Number one, circadian rhythm. So a lot of us, um, if your circadian rhythm is that you're more of a morning lark, some people are more of a night owl just by their DNA, but if you're more of a morning lark, then you're going to have 
a clearer vision, clearer focus in the morning. You're going to have, um, after you've been asleep and your brain has rested, think of it like an iPhone when it's on charge all night and then you take it off charge and it's got the, you know, 100%. That's how you feel in the morning. Um, that's how your brain should be functioning if you've had adequate sleep. And then, yeah, it's a really... Um, everything should be switched on and powerful and ready to flow. So that's one good reason. Another good reason is your metabolism and your sleep and energy levels. So again, with the circadian rhythm, if you're up early and you're active, you're moving, if you're doing exercise first thing, like running or swimming or yoga, then yeah, you're telling your body it's morning, you're moving, shifting. Because back in the day, if you go back, 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 hundreds of years, our bodies, when we woke up, we would have to move because you'd have to walk to get water, you'd have to climb, you'd have to get food, you'd have to reach, you'd have to go find daylight, you'd have to move. So then by the time it gets dark and your body knows and you, you've, you know, you've used up energy, then you should be ready to rest and sleep well and sleep deeply. And I know that this year there's so much talk about sleep. That's where we met, sleep event. And people, you know, they want to know how can I get better sleep? You know, there's so many things to disrupt our sleep, whether that's, you know, blue screens, caffeine, all these things. But people focus on the sleep, sleep, sleep. And actually, if you start getting up early, you start your day right, you move your body, then hopefully by the time it gets to 9 p.m., 10 p.m., I'm tired. Like, even me, who's like full of energy, I am tired at 9, 10 o'clock, so I can sleep. So, yeah, improve your sleep and your creativity. Awesome. And what about those people who hit snooze on the alarm? Mm -hmm. What message have you got for them? Okay, well, from a psychological point of view or an emotional point of view, I often say to people, and it, I don't want it to come across harsh, I think when you're passionate about something, which I am, I think sometimes the delivery can be like a slap in the face, but it's, it's with love. It's that if you're hitting snooze, often it's like, you're putting something off that you don't want to do. So you're putting off getting out of bed to start your day because you don't want to do it. So I challenge that and challenge you to think, why don't you want to start your day? What is it in your day that you're putting off? What don't you want to do? And I know some people will say, well, it's just simple. You, you know, your bed's cozy and warm and you just got to get up and it's just a bit, but I want people to feel excited to want to get up. It's like, what have you got today that you're looking forward to? Why, when you hit your alarm, you know, I have this thing that I say in the morning, which is, I love my life. And not in a way that's like, I love, you know, it's like, I love my life. It's like, I have so many things to be happy about, you know, waking up without pain, waking up without having to take medication. Do you know how many people in the world can say that, you know? We're very lucky if you can wake up every day without pain. You know, I have my son, you know, and he come flying out of his bedroom every day with his smiling face, you know? It's like, we've got a warm bed, I've got a roof, I've got food, you know, I've got all these things and I'm like, I love my life, so why do I want to hit snooze and put off starting my life because I want to just stay here for another 10 minutes? And I honestly think as well, if you hit snooze and you do stay in bed, you're not going into a deep sleep because it's not long enough for the whole sleep cycle thing, so you're just going to lay there in like a foggy haze, which I think, when I've done that previously, you get up and feel weird, you're like, oh, I feel like head's foggy or whatever, so yeah, don't hit snooze. Put your phone quite far away from your bed so that by the time you've got up and you've got your phone in your hand or your alarm clock, that's the other thing, we rely on our phones now, just get an actual alarm clock, you know? Um, and yeah, avoid snooze. No snooze. <laughs> so it's hard to imagine that you have low points in a way because you're always so positive and um, energetic and happy and 
Of course, we all all do have low points, and you described some at the beginning of this interview. But talk to me about something that's maybe happened this year, mm. and and how you have uh, found the inner strength to overcome it. Mm. Okay, so there's two things actually that spring spring to mind today. One which I didn't actually think that I would talk to you about, but I'm just going to go with it because. That's what you tend to do, Jodie. <laughs> just bring it out in, in people. Um, but yeah, the thing that springs to mind is actually um, about fertility. So this is something I think some people probably know, some people don't, some people ask because they know I've got one child. They ask, when do you want to have another baby? Do you want to have another one? And it's something that I would love, love, love to happen. And God willing, one day that it will. But it's been an incredibly difficult journey my husband's medication doesn't help lots of things um we've done IVF before that resulted in uh, pregnancy which I then lost so that was incredibly incredibly difficult and then early at the start of this year a friend of mine she um she was doing IVF for the first time and she didn't know anyone else that had done IVF so of course I was the person she wanted to talk to and ask questions and share that with and I really wanted to be there to support her because you know she's my friend Um, But I don't think I realised how much it was going to, I don't know, just bring up so much stuff where she was like asking me, what's this thing like? I've got to have this procedure. What's that like? And I guess describing it to her, I was kind of like, oh gosh, like reliving going through it myself. And then really fortunately it was successful and she's pregnant now. And I'm so, so, so happy for her. Like honestly, I had tears in my eyes when I saw the scan picture because I just, it kind of made me think it can work. Like IVF is such a, I know it's common now, but people just, if they don't know enough about it, they just go, oh, just have IVF, like it's this walk in the park. It really isn't. So for anybody listening who's had IVF or considering it, like it is, you know, it's it's a lot to take on emotionally, physically, you know, for a woman, the, your body, your hormones, it's a lot. And I think watching her go through that and seeing that she is pregnant, it, as well as giving me hope and making me like, oh my gosh, it does work. It also made me, if I'm honest, and this is sound awful, like just incredibly sad in like a really selfish way. I just felt like, oh, like why didn't it work for me? Why haven't I, you know, had another baby yet? I, I want that so much and I know my husband does and you know, my son, he celebrated his seventh, we celebrated his seventh birthday this spring. And I was, it's just crazy that he's seven. Like I just feel like that's the one thing in my life that I love him so much, I can't slow it down. It's terrifying. I remember pushing a pram and now he's seven and it's just, yeah, that is hard. It's, it's, sometimes it's hard for like five minutes and then I'm like, okay. Sometimes it's hard for like the whole day. It just depends, you know? Um, but I think how have I overcome it is just, I think, I don't know if I have actually overcome it. I think it's more the fact that I'm still hopeful that, you know, in the future, some way, somehow, whether that's through IVF, whether that's through adoption, whatever God's will is for me to have another child, but also through you know, being incredibly grateful for my health and, you know, having Jude because he's so wonderful and also just allowing myself to be like, it's okay to be upset or jealous or feel sad when you see, like, your friend having a baby and another baby. I've got friends who were pregnant at the same time as me who've now got three children and that was, like, my dream. So I see them and it's not so much for me now, it's for Jude. Like, I want him to have a sibling so much and I'm very close to my siblings. And I've got friends who are only ch- who are an only child who are like, Adrian, I never knew any different. Being an only child was great. Like, dude's super happy. Like, don't put this pressure on yourself that he's missing out. But it's just what you can't always help what your heart's desire is. You know what I mean? It's there. It's there. I can't squash it. 
So I guess that is difficult. It's not something that I really share that much because it's a difficult one as well when you have a child because often when people don't have children at all, if they have fertility issues and they talk about it, it's really acceptable and it's kind of like they're met with a lot of empathy, you know, poor you, you want to have a baby, you can't, that's really sad and difficult and there's a lot of, yeah, empathy. Whereas if you have a child, it's almost like those feelings are not legitimate. You're not allowed to say like, poor me, like, of course you are, you know, having a miscarriage is so traumatic and so difficult for any woman, any age, I don't care if you've got no children, if you've got five children, it's hard. And I think that I really allow myself to be honest about that and go, you know what, I'm allowed to be sad that I had a miscarriage or that I want another baby and not kind of thinking, oh, this person's going to think that I'm, you know, bad saying that because she hasn't got any children or, you know, just kind of, it's very complicated. So I'm trying to overcome it in a way that's just feel how you feel that day and also just be hopeful, hopeful for the future. I am very optimistic about life, which I think may have made it even more difficult because I was so optimistic that it would work. And I know that some people think, well, that's crazy. You know, they go into IVF thinking that it won't work because they don't want to get their hopes up. And then if it does work, it's a bonus. I don't live my life like that. I'm the opposite of that. I'm like, get your hopes up. Believe that it's going to happen. Why wouldn't it happen? Go for it. I believed it would. I To every fibre of my being, I believed it's going to happen. Of course it's going to happen. So when I got pregnant, I just felt like this is it and then yeah it was a real it floored me I didn't expect that at all and I but I don't want to change I don't want to become less optimistic and think oh you know say I know people say it to like safeguard yourself like don't get hopes up because it's gonna hurt but I'm a big girl I think I want to that's how I am I can't change it so yeah staying hopeful I think we all have struggles life you know there's everybody no matter what you see no matter what you know, I'm a super, as you said, happy, energised person. And I think often people go, oh, well, how can you be happy every single day? I am, because like I said, I love my life. I'm grateful for what I have. Doesn't mean you're not allowed to want more and be grateful. Those things can coexist, you know? I think what you said about hope is so important for people to hear because I really feel like that energy or that hopeful intention is what keeps us going when the times are dark mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely hope so yeah totally get that so what you've learned loads and loads of lessons you've just shared quite a few with us so far um what what do you feel like is the secret to your your incredible life and how 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 it's flowed and um, even when I know times have been hard it's still there's been lots of flow in your life like what's been the what's been like the secret source to kind of to keep you in that flow and to mm. keep you open to everything that's coming in mm. secret source okay I don't know if it's a secret I don't know I think a couple of things I think one my faith I'm a Christian, I pray and I trust in God and I trust that there's something there that I can always lean on, I can always rely on, so having my faith. I also think, you know how I talked before about when I went into the Adidas shoot and I felt really kind of, I don't know if naive is the right word, maybe naive is the right word, I have always had that my whole life and I feel like ignorance is bliss, like if you go into something thinking okay, great, like, not much expectation, do you know what I mean? I think that is the secret, because I don't think, 
oh, for example, this year I was invited to deliver a TED talk, a TEDx talk, and I know that people go, oh my gosh, you're doing a TEDx, that's amazing. They put that like, wow. And I was like, yeah, this is great. But I was also like, I'm going to walk onto a stage and I'm going to talk, just like if I was going to walk onto a stage and talk in front of 10 people or whatever. I just go into things being like, I don't go into it thinking, why me? What, you know, what can I, I just go, why not me? And that is, I honestly think, been my kind of, throughout my entire life, I think back to being a child, if I think back to auditioning for the West End, if I think back to any opportunity that I've faced, and even things I want to do in the future, I just think, why not me? Someone's going to do it. And I say that to other people. I'm like, don't think, well, what have I got to offer if I was to write a book? Or what have I got to say if I was to start a YouTube channel? Why not you? Everyone has a unique perspective. Everyone has something to offer. Everyone has... We're all so unique and that should be celebrated. So I think my secret sauce, if you like, is just to kind of go jump in, say yes, why not? What's the worst that could happen? You're a big girl, so you can, like I said, get your hopes up, you can get over it. And just going in and just giving it a try, because I think often what holds so people back from achieving things that others do achieve is just that one word, try. They just didn't try because they didn't believe in themselves or they didn't think that they, I don't know, deserved the opportunity. Whatever reason, I think actually when you look at a lot of people who've achieved things, they'll say, well, I just tried and then I tried it again and then I tried it again and I just didn't give up and I tried it again. And yeah, I think that's what's the difference between people that do and people that don't. That's it. Mm. <laughs> what do you think like, the biggest fear that, that holds people back is... I think it depends on who they are. I think for some people it's a fear of failure, like a public failure, you know, what others are going to think of them. That could be people in their family, you know, people that love them, parents, siblings, husband, wife. It could be um, co-workers. They fear that if they try something and it's not a success, that's going to reflect really badly. It's going to be really embarrassing. And then, they're never, you know, but even if that did happen, as I said, you'd get over it. People don't care that much, you know. And I think the other thing, if it's not fear of failure, I think it's, um, and yeah, fear of criticism, then it might be even fear of success because I know we've talked about that before and I think that is something that, especially for women, I think can be an issue because it's fear of success. Yeah, it's like, what if I do achieve that? What if I do get up on that stage or get that book deal or I don't know, whatever, win that medal? What does that mean? And they don't almost think that they can or that they should or that they deserve it so I think it depends on who the person is but essentially I think 99% of people who aren't feeling fulfilled and happy is because there's a fear that stops them from doing that thing that would make them fulfilled and happy so it's a really difficult one and I think maybe as I've got older I'm 31 now so I'm not you know certainly not like old and wise but I just think maybe in my early 20s those fears would have held me back and I think what happened to my husband really made me think, hang on, we don't know, you know, you don't know if you've got another 60 years or if you've got another six months. So not in a morbid way, but in an exciting way. It's like, just go for it, like, why not? So that was Adrienne London. I had so much fun recording that interview with her. When we get together, fireworks happen. We both completely buzz off each other and there's such a vibe and energy of inspiration. It's amazing. So I just want to thank you, Adrienne, for being vulnerable and sharing yourself so openly. Adrienne's such an inspiration to me and I know that she will inspire so many of you. 
Hope you enjoyed this first. Hope you enjoyed this episode of She's Electric. Remember to share it with your friends, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'll be back next time with another electric woman. Thank you.